the Strong Life Coach podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Kimberly Felton. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Derek. All right. Well, I'm excited about our conversation. I do want all of our listeners in podcast land to know about your background. Let me tell them a little bit about you. Kimberly Felton is a 2018 graduate of Albany Law School with a Juris Doctor in the Law. Prior to attending Albany, she graduated from the College of St. Rose with a bachelor's in political science and history. Kim has known since a young age that going into the legal field was her calling. Upon stumbling into immigration law in August of 2016, she has never looked back. She graduated law school with over 1,300 hours of pro bono service and vast immigration experience. In June of 2019, she started a business called Innovation Litigation, providing contract-based work to immigration lawyers. Once she had a taste of running a business, she was certain that she wanted to run a firm. In October 2020, she opened Onward Immigration, a virtual immigration law firm that serves immigrants seeking to gain status in the United States. She was admitted to practice in the state of Minnesota in August 2020, which is when she got to work building Onward Immigration. She spends her time learning how to serve and better serve the immigration community, seeking to find various avenues to help each client obtain their ultimate immigration goal. Onward Immigration seeks to change the game for what it means to have an immigration attorney and to change the fractured trust between the immigration community and the legal profession. Kim resides in New York with her husband and, and their kids. She is the mom of two boys, both she had during law school and immediately after graduating. In addition, she has two fur babies named Bubba and Loki. All right, Kim, what inspired you to become an attorney? Oh, okay. So it goes so far back that I don't have a certain answer. It's just mm -hmm. something that's always been there. My mom actually spoke of becoming an attorney, but she had me when she was around 21. It kind of derailed her. And so I ended up with that goal being implanted in me. And, you know, it's just, I actually used to play courtroom with my younger sister and cousins as kids. So it was just always there. Sure. I, I, one, I love the visual of like even beginning to mimic the courtroom in, in that space. That's such a cute, endearing uh, visual for us. And, and, I, and actually, even as your, your biography speaks to um, you enduring through did they, you know, you having one child in law school and a one immediately after, and even how you highlighted with with your mom, like you know, her having you was it was was a derailing experience, as you, what you just said. But then for you not to let that happen, I think this it, it speaks about um learning from the lessons of your your family history. I I love hearing stories like that. Absolutely. Now, what do you enjoy most about being an attorney? I, you know, I love the ability to interact with a community of people where I have such a vast impact on their lives. And, I, you know, I like the day-to-day -day stuff, like the research and the writing, but the ability to make such a large impact on somebody's life with my experience, schooling, and training, it's, there's no words for it. It's humbling. It's exciting. It makes me happy to get up every day, and it gives me a purpose. You know, I also like having dynamic work days and being able to be my own boss, which is really cool, but I sure. really have to give credit to the clients. Mm -hmm. When I speak to immigration attorneys, um, I think there's so much passion that comes out when they're speaking about what they do. 
-hmm. They are truly involved in delivering hope to families, to cultures, and transforming, really, I mean, sometimes the, their entire family history. I just imagine that just has to be rewarding to be a part of delivering hope on, a, on an ongoing basis. 100%, you know, especially with the last four years that we've had, it's been exhausting for everyone, but to be able to get up and say, okay, I can do something about this. You can't be dispassionate about this area of law. There's just no way. If you're disconnected, then you're not giving it your best. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, that's something that, that, that comes up from time to time, this idea of the last four years and, and some of the challenge that, that, that that's been. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because um, I'm, not, I'm not like terribly political or I'm like posting stuff about whatever my political affiliation. Um, but there's so much of the political realm in, in, the, in, in who's in government and, uh, and the, uh, that it affects immigration. And I think that, that's, that's what you're speaking to as well, right? Like, the, the, like this, the past four years, people in immigration just talked about how difficult and challenging it's been. Yeah, I, you know, I started immigration immediately before the Trump administration came in. So I got a taste of it when mm. things were not easy, but they were tolerable. And then it was like, it was a massacre. I mean, I had my son in December 2016, and then the following month, the Muslim ban came down. And I'm like, okay, I got to get to work. I got to do something about this. Mm, yes. Now, now talk about talk about that. The for you, um, how did you decide to focus on immigration? So my story is not, you know, not that unique, but I wanted to be a prosecutor, of course. And as soon as I got into my internship at the DA's office, I very quickly realized it was not for me. There was just so many things about the culture and feeling like I was contributing to mass incarceration. It just, it felt wrong at my core. And I was pregnant at the time. I had just found out shortly before. And I was like, well, I have to make a decision. Either I'm going to continue going to law school and figuring out what I want to do, or I'm going to have this baby and I need, you know, I need to either get on board or get off. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so I spoke with a mentor who told me about a local nonprofit. He said it would be a great fit for me. Mm -hmm. And so he said, there's two ways to get there. You can either do the uh, domestic violence clinic, or you can do the immigration law clinic. And naive little me is like, oh, immigration sounds so happy. Let's do that. So <laughs> Originally, I wasn't supposed to do the clinic until the following spring, but I reached out to the professor to introduce myself and it turned out a slot had just opened up. So, I mean, weeks later, I was being sworn in. Mm, wow. And as I as I hear you um, talk about it, and even you, you, you mentioned it briefly, this idea that, oh, it's so happy, um, you know, that concept right there and the amounts of trauma that you're exposed to. I know some attorneys talk about the, um, the element of uh, vi vicarious trauma, the trauma you experience as you, uh, as you serve your client base. Um, has that been true for you? I mean, you see some of the, the worst, you, know, you hear some of the worst stories, I mean, from people's yeah. entire you know, uh, lifespans. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to have a professor that taught us about vicarious trauma and how to take care of ourselves. So it's, mm -hmm. that was definitely helpful for me. Um, but, uh, a lot of what I do, I mean, asylum is my heart and soul. That was the very, that was the second case I ever took. And it was the first case I did solo. So I was dealing with an unaccompanied minor asylum case, learning about gangs in El Salvador and sexual harassment. And, you know, I'm still pushing through, like, I want to do this, but then you come to stuff like, uh, VAWA dealing with spouses who have been abused 
And, you know, now they're stuck in this country and they have this person holding their immigration status over their head. You're seeing pictures of the violence. You're reading recaps, you know, of what happened in other countries that contributed to their asylum claims. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're reading it and you're trying to put together a narrative, it's really hard to distance yourself emotionally sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now when you, when you describe that, um, I'm, I'm always curious as, especially, um, other attorneys who are tuning in and, and, and it seems like that's very much the, the industry where you're exposed, not just in immigration, but other, other, um, other lanes of the law as well. You're often exposed to the worst parts of life. Mm-hmm. Wait, if you were to offer somebody maybe one tip in that space of like, what's helped you to navigate carrying some of the weight that comes from some of these horrible stories that come up and to continue moving forward in your career, like what's maybe one tip you would offer them of what's really helped you to do it? You have to understand that the ball might be in your court to help them, but you are not the end all be all. You can do the best that you can do and they can still lose. So you have to understand that as long as you're going through, you're advocating for your client, you made your best argument, you're only working with what you've got. You can't you can't take the weight of that on your shoulders and hold that responsibility on just you. You know, you have to keep it in perspective and it's hard because you, you get emotionally involved in these cases, but Mm -hmm. your job is the attorney. You are the advocate. You're not the judge. You are not the adjudicating officer. You are the person who can just do your best Mm -hmm. and trying to communicate that with the clients while remaining positive but you have to practice self-care too. You can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to make sure that you are bringing your best as often as you can. And when you're not feeling it, give yourself a break, be kind to yourself and let, let yourself have some downtime. Oh, I love those principles. I think those are some, some best practices in, in the, in the, in the legal field to uh, prioritize yourself. Can't pour from an empty cup um, and understand the boundaries of where your responsibilities end and others really begin. Um, I think those are so, so phenomenal principles. So attorneys, if you're listening in, this is one of those places where you pause and you go rewind it and play that again and make sure you are I- I- implementing those principles. It's one thing to know them, but it's another thing to live them. So um, yeah, be sure to really uh, um, glean those principles and practice those in your journey for all of our attorneys listening. And thank you for that insight there, Kim. It's easier said than done. And, but you know, listen to me right now. I'm giving you permission. Sometimes we just need somebody to give ourselves permission to do it. I'm giving you permission right now. Yes. I love that. I love that. Um, And it's true. It's true. Sometimes for whatever reason, hearing somebody from the outside, giving us permission um, to prioritize ourselves, to fill our own cup. um, Yes, absolutely. Yes. Now, tell me, maybe we already touched this, but tell me if you have a different perspective on this is what's what's been a challenge you've faced as an attorney that you've overcome? Balance. I mean, I'm not even overcoming it. I'm just swimming through it. Um, (laughs) And it's something that so many women and single parents need to overcome, Mm -hmm. but it's so hard to figure it out. I mean, I returned to law school when my baby was three weeks old. I was finishing my examinations while pumping at the same time. Mm. I was dealing with postpartum depression. My husband had to go away for six weeks with the military when my son Mm. was six weeks old. And that was just law school. That wasn't even running a practice. So 
I got the first taste of how hard it can be for female lawyers and, you know, single parent lawyers to try to push through this. It's, it's not easy. And then there's that constant mom guilt, that feeling like you're only doing 10% of a hundred things and you're, you know, you're doing your best. And as I said before, you can only do so much, but Mm -hmm. it still follows you, even if you rationally know that it doesn't make sense. And that challenge is probably one of the hardest to overcome. Wow. I know. I think I, I really value you, uh, you, you capturing that point. Um, because one, I, you know, it's, it's real. And as I've, you know, as worked with attorneys and I've listened to some, some of those challenges, the, the work you do, it's, it's so involved, right. And, and it takes, it's so demanding and so high pressure. Um, and, and there's so much on the line um, the way I've seen attorneys give themselves over into their profession in a noble manner often comes with, you know, saying, you know, when you say yes to one thing in life your, for your focus, time, energy, and attention, then it is an element of saying no to everything else. But I, mm-hmm. but I think there's so much value in you, la- you li- labeling, listing that out, the mom guilt that comes in the journey. Because I know the listeners, the attorneys listening who are, who are moms feel that same weight that they carry around. So I think you, uh, even even just mentioning it helps people to know that they're they're not alone as they go through that. Absolutely. And, you know, learning to say no to work stuff is okay too. You know, it absolutely breaks my heart when my youngest son will run up to me and shut my laptop because he wants me to play with him. Mm. And there's times where I can't, you know, I have to step away in my office and they'll be knocking at the door saying, mama, mama, and there's Mm -hmm. stuff that I need to plug through. But prioritizing, you know, knowing what I can push aside and what I can say no to in order to try to strike that balance is helpful too. Yes, yes. No, respect to you, respect to all the moms who are fulfilling multiple roles. I think when I think about what you, you, you all do, there's endless demands, heavy workload, high stress, but you all still manage to do it with so much class. It, it really, uh, it calls my admiration forward, especially uh, with my mom, you know, her being a single mom with three kids. And I think still like looking back going, Hey, how did you, how did you do that during that time period? You know? Um, but when I'm hearing what you and the other attorneys are doing, um, the excellence you show in your, in your profession, but also your desire to show that same unconditional love to your, your children. I, I, again, I just think power to you, my friend. Um, I'm, I'm rooting for you. Uh, and, uh, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Now, again, maybe we'll add a little twist to this. What is a common challenge you've witnessed other attorneys face? And what do you think is a great solution to that challenge? This kind of allows me to plug for innovation litigation. Do it. <laughs> uh, delegation and outsourcing. You know, I started my business it, doing that in June 2019, offering brief writing, legal research, in-depth legal work to help attorneys try to strike that balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working on trying to offer paralegal assistance and intake assistance too. All of these pain points where I see attorneys like, okay, I can't take on anymore. Oh, okay, where can I find this? Mm-hmm. Because it's so hard you know, I think we have an issue with learning to relinquish control. Sure. And so in doing so, you have to have good procedures and systems in place and you have to have good tools to help delegate. But the first step is saying, okay, 
I'm going to let go of this and I'm going to have somebody else do it. Mm -hmm. Then when you commit to that, you can slowly start to relinquish control of other things. And it allows you to to not only strike a good balance, but it allows you to grow in your Mm -hmm. business as Mm -hmm. a person. And then you're not stuck doing all of these tasks that are not suited for you. Wow. Wow. Um, when When I hear from you, and it strikes with other attorneys because the reason you're even in the space that you're in, you or even the, all the, 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 the everyone in podcast land, is because you're a person of excellence. Like you give you 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 put something in, in your charge or in your responsibility, you know there's going to be excellence written from every angle, top, bottom, left, right, north, south, east, west, all over. It's, it's going to be excellence. And then there's the challenge of giving away that responsibility, knowing some of the excellence that you carry yourself with may not be carried by the other people. I could, I could totally see how that's a challenge um, to delegate. Absolutely. A lot of us are perfectionists, but mm-hmm. then remembering that, you know, perfection inhibits progress. You have to keep telling yourself that because it may not come out exactly the way you want it to, but at least it's getting done. Ooh. Okay. You gave us a quote that I need to highlight it. It's a- <laughs> perfection inhibits progress. That's going to be my takeaway from this podcast. Maybe I'll get a bit, um, but if nothing else, that's the one I'll take away. And I remember the moment when somebody told me the same, a similar concept. They said, it's better done than perfect. Yes. You could spend, I, I can spend so much time on a task of responsibility and waste so much time in, in like trying to perfect something as opposed to getting more done. And I can see how your, your business, um, um, helps with that. Now, is that only New York or is that nationwide? Or tell me more about that. It's nationwide. Since it's immigration, I have the privilege of working with attorneys nationwide. I've been able to establish some really great relationships. You know, I was doing this before I was even licensed. So mm-hmm. it gave me a fantastic opportunity to learn. And I was, it allowed me to slow down and do that in-depth research that I couldn't necessarily do now. So, I mean, it was a mutually beneficial relationship. I got experience that I couldn't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then I was teaching other attorneys how to delegate and outsource. Mm -hmm. And not to mention the procedures that implemented within me that I brought to my own law firm. Sure. I I think hearing you while knowing, I I think of author um, Michael Gerber, he wrote The E-Myth and he talks about the difference between a solopreneur and an entrepreneur. And I, and, and again, I, I say plainly right now, I'm absolutely in a solopreneur space in that um, I, right, I'm the CEO, but I'm also the janitor, right? I'm the, yes. I'm the president, but I'm also the landscaper <laughs> of my house or whatever. But I bring that up because one of the, the, the best practices that you're mentioning is creating standard procedures, you know, creating your own best practices so that it empowers the business to scale it up. So you don't mm-hmm. have to be doing the work. So if you, let me speak to the attorneys here, especially to you solos. So sometimes what I love about that, that book is he talks about the difference between being a solopreneur and an entrepreneur. A solopreneur is they created a job for themselves. Entrepreneur, they, they're, they have started an enterprise to, to employ other people like what Kim is talking about and being able to delegate because of the best practices. Anyway, what's your, what's your perspective about all of that? Oh man, I love the email. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a book addict, so I tend to collect a ton of books and not get around to reading them, Mm -hmm. but 
I have been reading as many books as I can get my hands on when it comes to business and running a business because I am not business oriented. I mean, I'm a humanitarian at heart. <laughs> so yes, yes. that would make me a terrible businesswoman. So learning from books like that and, you know, other people in the field, like it absolutely, you you can't take it all on yourself as much as you want to, as much as I want to, you just can't. And you can't grow if you don't have those systems in place. Because if you do, you're going to break. If you grow too quickly, you are going to break. Mm -hmm. So the best thing you can do, start with one process, one small process and write down step by step by step what you do. Mm -hmm. It can be detailed and you can go back and delete it later, but it's something. Start somewhere. Yes, yes. You know, I love that. I remember having a conversation with an attorney who's, who's one of my clients and we had this conversation and she was sharing about, she thinks she could squeeze two more hours of billable hours into her morning. And she was, we were talking about the implications of that. And as far as how much money that would be across the month, across the year. And, but we had this back to you, really the point that you're making, we had this moment of you can go that direction and work more to build more, which again, you'll have short-term progress. You'll be able to make a lot more money for, um, for the year. But if you use those same two hours, to focus on the processes that, that Kim's talking about right here, then you could potentially double, triple that same amount of income without having to be the one doing the work if you commit to the processes that, that, that you're talking about here, Kim. So anyway, absolutely love the concept, love the business. I'd have, you and I are going to have to talk a little bit more offline to figure out how I, I can maybe plug some of your services. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Now, um, the, the next category is, is, is often brought up with new attorneys. And it's, it's this issue of all new attorneys that w- want to figure out how to solve the problem of how do I get new clients? How do I get more clients? So for you and your experience, what has been the best way to attract new clients to your law firm? It's a work in progress, <laughs> especially <laughs> being such a new firm. I mean, I had a month where there was no consultations whatsoever, but that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. I think referral sources are definitely one of the best places to go. And going back to past leads, people who have contacted you and said no, finding out why they said no. And mm-hmm. like, I have a whole spreadsheet that I'm going to have my virtual assistant go through and contact everybody like, hey, do you still need help? What can we do to help you? I think it's a good place to start. You know, I'm doing the Facebook ads, I'm doing the Google ads, and it's really expensive and it's not really giving me my ideal client. Mm -hmm. So going to the people who fit that category the best and getting them to branch out has been, it's been very, you know, successful on my end. Mm -hmm. Word of mouth, getting your name out there, but it takes time depending on the area you're in. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, You know, I, I appreciate you talking about ideal clients. And, you know, in that ideal prospects, because there are moments in really uh, potentially any service oriented industry where we can have people that are interested, but when they're the wrong people, they can often take more of our time, energy and resources and then not lead to ultimately the kind of business we we really are passionate about doing. But I think that's such a valuable piece of insight um, that I often see not focused on and really fine tuning and knowing who is your perfect client. What do they look like? What do they smell like? What do they, you know, the whole, the whole like painting a very clear picture. So, you know, so you know what they look like, but then, so as you're spreading the word and, you know, getting your friends or family or, you know, your contacts as your evangelists 
going out and telling people about you don't know exactly if they're talking to your 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 perfect um your perfect prospect and your your ideal client absolutely you know people are probably gonna think i'm crazy for this but i've said no to money i've told people you know what no thanks but we're not a good fit you know i've sent out non-engagement letters if i know that this person is going to be a problem client or just isn't somebody that is going to jive with me because like you said it's going to cost me more in the long run it's costing me my peace of mind mm -hmm. you can't get that back so I would rather say no to money and keep my peace of mind and keep my time with my kids than take on the wrong person. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. You know, I had a, a really funny uh, situation yesterday where I was being cursed out by this, this person and, 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 I, and I'd only had done pro bono service for them. So I'm like, why am I going, why am I going through this right now? And I remember calling a friend and I asked, and I was asking, he's a, he's a very successful businessman here in Texas. And I asked him for his perspective and he, he said this story that I think it really fits what you're describing. He talked about this visual of the Coast Guard when they go to save people who've had a, you know, an accident. And then there's, the, there's a priority that they place on the people who are swimming toward their boat. And then after them, it's the person who's Bobby not going in any direction. But then the last priority are people who are swimming away from the boat. But it was this fascinating visual of us as business owners thinking about who, who we want as our prospects and people who actually want and who fit the bill, who are moving toward us, not just wanting to do business with us, but they're moving toward us in synergy and in, in chemistry and all of those other factors. Um, but, but yes, absolutely. Um, prioritizing the right kind of clients. I think it's a message many of us out there uh, could really hear and, and take to heart. It's funny that you mentioned that uh, anecdote because I used to be a firefighter oh. and I've done water rescue. And, you know, one of the things they teach you is if somebody you're trying to help somebody and they're dunking you under, you need to dunk them back and you need to ride them all the way back to shore because you can't help other people if you're going to be drowned. Mm -hmm. So it's true there's going to be somebody out there for that client. It's not you. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying no. There's no shame in referring them. Just having your boundaries is fine because if you don't have your boundaries, you're going to keep attracting the wrong kind of clients because mm -hmm. there's that referral source. Again, the word's going to get out. People are going to get the wrong idea about you and you're going to be miserable. Yes. Yes. And, uh, I love the insight and I love how um, you, 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 I have to ask about the firefighter. I mean, now that you brought it <laughs> up, I mean, you bring it up, I have to, to ask you about it. So um, when you think about your experience, I know you just mentioned one as a, as a firefighter, which is completely fascinating. We might have to have an entire podcast just on the, the lawyer <laughs> firefighter. We'll label it that, um, that one episode. But when you think about that experience, to tell us one lesson you learned as a firefighter, maybe that was different than the one you just mentioned that is that is still helping you today in as a lawyer as running your your law firm what's one lesson you could share with us from that experience it might seem scary and it might seem like completely out of your element but you can get through it i mean when I was doing my fire training, I found out that I had claustrophobia when I put the mask on and I started hyperventilating while I was in my 80 pounds of gear, ripping my stuff off. Now, if I had been in a fire, that would have killed me. Mm. But learning from that, learning like, okay, slow down your breathing. You're carrying this charged hose up three stories. That's really heavy. And, you know, let alone, like, I don't have the strength of a guy, but knowing that I could do that, any, even if I feel like I have imposter syndrome, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of stop delaying it, stop thinking about it and just jumping right in. Ooh, 
Wow. Motivational principles right there for us uh, podcast listeners. Stop delaying it. Stop thinking about it and jump right in. I think that's for all of our listeners who are not business owners and you've been thinking about it, that message might be for you right there. Um, I love it. Thank you for that insight, Kim. Now, for, for the attorneys who are just starting their career, what's the advice that you offer them? Don't be afraid to think outside the box. I mean, when I started doing contract work, I couldn't find research on it really. I mean, it was out there learning about business process outsourcing, but learning how to do contract work as an attorney, it was not necessarily a new concept, but it wasn't one that you could easily dig up information on. And so, I mean, I spent countless hours poring over the ethics rules, making sure I could do this. And it was different, but it was awesome. And I'm so glad that I did because it got me interested in legal tech and the startup field and all of these industries that I had knew I knew nothing about. But because I was thinking outside the box and a way to use my law degree and a way to do immigration law while I was waiting on my licensing, it was very beneficial to me because it was an unexpected path. I thought that I would graduate, I would pass the bar, I would go right into a law firm. That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. I, my path derailed a little bit, you know, being a mom of a newborn, I didn't pass the bar on my first try. So I had to figure out how I was going to make money. And mm-hmm. by doing so, it led me to a whole other area of the legal field that I didn't realize existed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I think something I'm picking up from you um, immediately is your authenticity and, and your willingness to be courageous in your vulnerability, right? And then I'm listening to you. You've you spoke openly about not passing the bar on your first time. Um, you spoke openly about, you know, having a month without, you know, phone calls. Um, I think um, when I hear, when I, when I see that type of courage, I know, it uh, it's so uh, it's so endearing, and it's empowering to people around you. Going, oh, she's okay being herself and her true self, and I totally see how it can make other people just really be okay being themselves as well. But I wanted to highlight that about um, about what you said. But I mean, but also I, I love the innovation that the experience caused in you, and it helped you to learn. Um, to learn. And, and we hear that, that phrase all the time, you know, when, when one door closes, another door opens or a window opens or you break down a door or, you know, whatever <laughs> visual we want. But I think that was true with, with your story, with how it, it caused you to innovate, to pivot and to learn this other area where you could actually provide a valuable service. That's where the name came from, Innovation Litigation. Mm, innovation Litigation. See, the word is right in there. I love that. <laughs> yes. So, Tell me, what's the best advice you received about owning your law firm? It's one that I'm still trying to implement, but knowing what your value is and charging it. Like I said before, I'm a humanitarian at heart, so that's always battling with my business side, but Mm -hmm. I can't help people if my lights aren't on. I can't help people if my children aren't fed. So knowing with my experience and my value, I have to charge that. Yeah. And you know, if I can always refer people out if they can't afford it. I know plenty of legal aids. So there's that, but don't go into something already compromising yourself. If you're already compromising your rate, as you go into your consultation, you're never going to get your value. And you have to think about what is the client getting out of this? What is their immigration goal going to get them a lifetime in the United States 
being with their family, the job opportunities, the amount of money that they'll make, you know, avoiding any further trauma, there's value to that. So mm -hmm. knowing what you're giving your clients and what they're receiving in return and give yourself permission to charge that. Yes. Wow. Uh, super powerful relevance. I know the fear I face, you know, figuring out prices and say, like, Oh, like, you know, this person didn't, you know, accept it as this rate, and maybe I get charged higher next time, you know, for somebody else. And, and it's just one of those things, there's so much fear involved, you know, the fear of scaring people away, the fear of, um, especially like when, it, it, as we were in a pandemic, and we mm -hmm. wonder, we don't know when the next phone call is coming in for the next client. And it, and it, and it's so easy to want to compromise to ensure we have that, you know, that's maybe small client or small business. Um, as opposed to knowing our value and holding our value, I could see how it's helpful, not just short-term, but long-term. Because if people know, and if we build a reputation for um, low cost, it can really hurt us long-term because that's what people know us for. As opposed to missing out on the client and being known for a high cost because of high value that I deliver, I could see how that can totally transform and change the game for people. Um, but I think, again, I think that's especially relevant, not just for attorneys, especially attorneys, but also for a lot of us in service industries where we have the ability to, to change our prices and, and use prices that work for us and, and our market. Yeah, absolutely. That's the great thing about being the business owner is you can change it whenever you feel like you can experiment with different things and see what works and what doesn't. You know, I like to think of myself as like, the target of law firms, not necessarily a Nordstrom, but I'm offering good mm -hmm. quality and it's not an absorbent fee. But if somebody doesn't want it, the worst case scenario is they can say no. And like I said, I mean, I just went through January. I had a bunch of phone calls, but none of them were qualifying. None of them were people that wanted to pay me. Mm -hmm. So why am I going to waste my time and waste theirs? Yes. No, that's, that's phenomenal insight. And I, I like that analogy of a target um, of, a, of maybe not a Nordstrom, but a Target. And I, and I think that I, that, that resonates with me. Uh, I want to be a, a Target too. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should be. Yes. Yes. Now let's talk about work-life balance. Like what, <laughs> what does work-life balance, like how have you established it? What does that look like in your world? Tell me about it. It's a myth. <laughs> I'm certain of it. It doesn't exist. It's, it's a constant game of balance. You know, it's, there's days where you're not going to do it at all. There's days where you're going to do okay. And there's days where you're going to feel like, okay, I'm on top of the world, but it doesn't stay. Mm -hmm. Once you think you figured it out, then they change the rules, especially mm -hmm. kids. They're always changing the game and changing the way that they do things. So learning to roll with it has been the biggest stress alleviation because mm -hmm. I finding the balance, it's, it's different for everybody, I guess. Balance is, you know, a subjective term. Mm -hmm. So what it means to me doesn't necessarily mean what it is to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But for me, balance is being able to wake up and do what I want and not have to do it. Mm -hmm. And being able to go spend time with my family and go on vacations, you know, without guilt. I mean, I don't think I've been on a vacation in like six years. <laughs> so mm -hmm. being able to achieve that is balance for me. Yes, yes. No, I, and I appreciate what you're talking about the myth as well, because sometimes like when, when even when you think about the word balance, I think about it's somebody who wakes up and it, is perfect life. Is it an equal amount of hours? Probably not. You know, if they're we'll wait for 16 hours, that mean I'm working eight and off eight or again, like this, the, the idea of it. And especially in your world 
when you have deadlines that are pressing around the corner or, or the uh, paperwork that needs to be filed or, or again, um, or different appointments that, that are related within your field of law, um, it's, it's real, it's unrealistic to think that your schedule that week or that time period, that those, that weekend is going to look the same as your weekend prior when you were able to spend the full day with family or kids and, wh- and whoever that is. Um, mm-hmm. but just realizing that, um, the myth of the balance is something I appreciate you highlighting. There's always something being thrown in there. My kids are always getting sick, needing to be home. One has a fever from teething. I have to go pick him up, learning how to try to work with a baby on my lap. It's not easy. And so, like I said, it's a subjective term. And I think we need to be kinder to ourselves. Like I'm somebody that does their best work at night. I'm a night owl. So I'm not that person that gets up at 5 a.m. and hits the gym and eats a good breakfast and gets started right away not me at all. I love to sleep. Mm. I love to sip on my morning coffee and savor it. And I'm probably not <laughs> somebody you want to speak to until like 10 30, 11 o'clock, mm. but I do my best work at night. And I've learned to accept that instead wow. of fighting it. Wow. I love it. I love it. Accepting your natural flow of energy, embracing that. Yes, yes, yes. Let me ask you, if someone was listening to this episode and they were just caught by you and they said, you know what, I want to help that person. I want, I want to help Kimberly Felton. I want to help, um, help her cause. If someone was listening, I could do anything to help you and support you and your law firm. What would that be? Oh, please do. Please tell everybody about me. <laughs> um, tell them about Onward Immigration. Now, don't confuse us with the Onward Immigration in Canada. We only help people get into the United States and get United States visas. I've had a lot of calls come in for Canada. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, telling people about me, about my authenticity, about, you know, I'm not one of those lawyers that's just looking to make a buck. I'm pretty flexible. I'm the same way with my staff. Like, you know, I don't care when you get it done, just get it done. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we operate differently. We're a virtual law firm. And so we can serve anyone nationwide. So all you have to do is look up our website. All you have to do is Google my name. You'll find me and reach out to me. I'm a very approachable person. Mm, Yes. Yes. Let's do our part podcast listeners to express our gratitude um, by telling people about Kimberly Felton and what she's doing with um, onward immigration in the United States, not in Canada. (laughs) And uh, making sure we're, we're, we're funneling the, the, uh, the, the crowd in the right direction there. Yes. Now let me ask you a little twist on that question, which is, if someone was listening to this episode that could connect you with your perfect referral partner, who would that be? Where would they be? And what do they do? You know, that's, that's a hard question. I don't really know what I would want in a referral partner. I just know that client wise, I like to, I like to help people stay united with their families. I like to help people who are getting out of abusive marriages. So doing VAWA work, uh, trafficking victims, victims of crimes. So people of that nature are really the ones I gravitate towards. I don't necessarily know about a referral partner, but you know, if you can, if you know people that are dealing with those dilemmas and hardships, I'm the person they should come to. Mm, yes. Specific, clear. Um, thank you for that. It's, it's, I think it's, it's helpful, you know, in even some of those um, unfortunate circumstances, but for us to create that, um, impression of your brand with this is somebody who's helping people in these circumstances is something mm-hmm. that again podcast listeners let's do our part to really help make some great connections for for kim and what she's doing 
Um, my last question for you, Kim, is what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? Mm, okay. Well, I love people who are creative and thoughtful and passionate. They have such a zest for life. And, you know, I've been surrounding myself with people like that, and they've been the best influences on me. I mean, my best friend is one of the most creative people I know, Casey. She is she's, she's my affirmation every day. Mm -hmm. She is always seeing the best in me and anyone else and reminding us that we are that. And then there's my husband who is so supportive. I mean, I wouldn't be able to get where I am without his support. He's so willing to just grab the responsibility and go with it so that I can go work or I can achieve a goal. I mean, getting through law school with a baby with his help is what made it for me. You know, it, it does take a village and having the people in my village who are so willing to help and be selfless and understanding and non-judgmental, those are the qualities that I revel. When I find people like that, I tend to gravitate towards them. Like I, I find them everywhere like, oh, let's be friends. Yes, yes. And I, I want to send a special shout out to your husband and to Casey for their phenomenal influence on you. Clearly, if you thought about them when it came to your favorite people and your favorite qualities, they're doing the right things in your world. So if they're listening to this part of the interview, I just want to let them know, phenomenal job, well done. I'm, I, 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 I am blessed to hear about your qualities and your impact on, on Kim and her journey. Um, Kim, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said before, this is my first podcast. So this has been a really great experience for me. All right. I love it. I love it. Um, podcast listeners, let me remind you, this episode is sponsored by Strong Life Scholars, whose mission is empowering Latinas with law student scholarships, undergraduate scholarships, community impact guidance, professional mentorships, and professional skills training. Thank you once again, precious listeners, for tuning in to another episode. Be sure to go over to the Apple Podcast app and give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe, and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.